This summer, Jewish Americans were bombarded by a multimedia blitz. And they had a choice, and for many it wasn't easy. Barbie or Oppenheimer. Both movies were released on the same day. Both had the highest of expectations. And the movies could not have been more different. Barbie, a brightly colorful movie about the iconic doll who ventures into the real world and discovers lessons on feminism and the patriarchy. And Oppenheimer, a movie about the Jewish creator of the atomic bomb filled in black and white. Which one would we choose? Which one would I choose? Unfortunately, I saw neither, but I did see a movie that combined the two. Golda. Now hear me out. Golda, directed by Israeli director Guy Nativ, takes place during the 19-day Yom Kippur War of 1973 when Arab forces attacked Israel on the Jewish people's holiest day. Now, for those who have seen movies, uh, seen video and, and pictures of Golda Meir, you would know that she would not have been mistaken for a living Barbie doll. But she was the first and only female prime minister of Israel. And she led her country through its most difficult period since its founding in 1948. Like Barbie in the movie, Golda was a model of female leadership who had immense challenges in a male-dominated world. She was surrounded by male generals telling her what to do. But she showed women around the world that they could break the highest of glass ceilings. Today we mark the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, a war that almost led to the destruction of the Jewish state. In 1973, as I mentioned, Israel was attacked by the Egyptian and Syrian armies. And despite the warnings, the Israeli military, feeling seemingly invincible after their victory during the Six-Day War in 1967, were unprepared for the onslaught. And it was at that time when there was a doomsday scenario that was considered by the Israeli Prime Minister, Golda Meir. She gave Defense Minister Moshe Dayan permission to activate Israel's nuclear arsenal on October 9th, 1973, after he reported that Israeli forces were being routed almost completely. Israel almost went nuclear, and that's our Oppenheimer connection. Since the Yom Kippur War, Israel has not undergone a comparable physical threat to her existence. But if you listen to the voices that are coming out of Israel now, you hear voices warning us that Israel's soul is in danger as it was, as its body was in 1973. The destruction that they speak about is a gradual dismantling of the Israel that we have known for the last 75 years. An Israel that will lose its democratic nature 
and democratic values and might slip into a theocracy and a, a dictatorship where minority rights will be ignored. What I'm referring to are the unprecedented protests by a substantial cross-section of the Israeli population. It really does cut across all boundaries, religious, secular, conservative, liberal. For the last year, they have been, there have been protests every weekend against the current, current right-wing government, which is aiming to overturn the delicate balance of power between the legislature and the courts. And as I thought back to Yom Kippur and the war, I realized that we do have similar challenges today. During the lead up to the Yom Kippur War, the generals who advised Golda Meir at the time, many of them said not to call up reservists. Why? Because it was just a ploy by the Egyptians, by the Syrians, to ruin Israel's economy and to fool us. They said they were bluffing. Others warned that the signs were there for an attack and that it was imminent. It was a doomsday scenario and we must act now. We must call up the entire country, all the reservists. So which side would Golda listen to? And that's what I'm going to talk about. And I want to talk about today because Guy Nativ, the director, said the parallels to Israel in 1973 and are quite clear. He said that while attending a demonstration with his family, he met veterans of the Yom Kippur War who told him, this is Yom Kippur all over again. But imagine if it was the day before Yom Kippur, it was, if it's August 5th, 1973, and we don't know what will happen. In other words, what would you do if you were Golda? What are we going to do? On the one hand, there are those saying that this moment in Israeli history is not unprecedented. And just because a government you oppose takes power does not mean that you speak up against it. That's democracy. Furthermore, speaking out publicly against Israel can have consequences that can damage Israel, both within the Jewish community, in this country, and around the world. And perhaps our reluctance to air our dirty laundry might, must, it might be motivated by fear, lest we make Israel, as we say in Yiddish, a shanda for the goyim, a source of shame that might have an effect on Jews in America that could lead to collective consequences. If we don't use our voices wisely, they say it can backfire. For example, when we constantly criticize Israel, we chip away at the love that we feel for Israel. Unfortunately, me personally, I see this now more and more. Our youth are experiencing an Israel that is unfairly criticized as an occupier, an oppressor, the bad guy in the worst neighborhood in the world. But they forget that Israel is in the toughest neighborhood in the world, a tiny little piece of land. And many ask, what good can come 
to adding fuel to the fire, to criticizing Israel publicly. Rabbi Stuart Weinblatt, who's the founder of the Zionist Rabbinic Coalition, wrote, the threats to wreak economic havoc and undermine its ability to defend itself are potentially self-fulfilling with disastrous consequences for the very country the protesters wish to preserve. Calls for the United States President and Congress to punish Israel are irresponsible and will do long-term harm to the relationship that will not be easily restored. He writes, I have faith that Israel will be able to resolve the crisis, just as they have displayed amazing resiliency and adaptability through its 75 years. As a result, rather than urge people to weigh in on one side or the other, the best thing we can do to help at this time is to encourage both sides to come to the table to find a reasonable compromise to the current stalemate. And if I had to explain the stalemate, we'd be sitting here for another 24 hours, which we will be, but I sent you a lot of articles. Please read up on it. But I want to give the other side. The other side says they're like the generals who warned Golda that an attack was coming and the Jewish state's existence is in danger. In this case, the quote-unquote nuclear option is calling on the voices here in America, our voices, to stand up for the protesters and support them. Voices like Rabbi Daniel Gordis, who used to publicly criticize rabbinical students for airing their unfavorable opinions about Israel in the past, he is now begging Jewish Americans to let their voices be heard publicly to criticize the current Israeli government. And many more moderate voices are sharing similar views, and they have joined together, like renowned Jewish thinker Yossi Klein-Alevi and Israeli journalist Mati Friedman, who wrote a public letter with Rabbi Daniel Gordas to us, to their friends in North America. The North American Jewish community, they write, has steadfastly come to the aid of Israel at moments of crisis. Israel belongs first to all its citizens, and they have the final word. But Israel also matters to the entire Jewish people. When an Israeli government strays beyond what your, what your commitments to liberal democracy can abide, you have both the right and the responsibility to speak up. Israeli need, leaders need to hear where you stand. North American Jews and their leaders must make clear to this government that if it continues on the path to transforming Israel into a country of which diaspora Jews can no longer be proud, there will be no business as usual. We and our families, along with many tens of thousands of other Israelis, are in the streets every week demanding the government end its war against our democratic values and institutions. We need your voice to help us preserve Israel as both a state of a Jewish and democratic state. Director Guy Nativ, again, the director of the new movie Golda, he said that Israeli leaders today are blind like the leaders in the Yom Kippur War. And he warns that this is a pivotal moment in his words to do or to die. One side is telling us, be like Jonah, the reluctant prophet who eventually finds his way out of inaction by telling the residents of Nineveh to repent for their behavior. 
They want our Jewish community to tell Israelis that now is the time to return to each other and live peacefully again together. Because peace is the ultimate ideal, regardless of what happens in the Knesset. And the other side is asking Jewish Americans to intervene, to be, not to be like the re reluctant prophet Jonah, but to be Queen Esther. After Mordechai coaxed her to stand up for her people when he said in the Megillat Esther, do not imagine that you of all Jews will escape with your life by being in the king's palace in silence. Who knows? Perhaps you have attained your royal position for just such a crisis. They offer us a warning. Do not think that you living in safety here in America will not be affected if Israel becomes a dictatorship or worse, even a theocracy. Maybe you and where you are, you are there for a reason. Speak up for us. Use your power and your influence to help us. And it's fitting that we speak about these two characters today, Jonah and Esther, because today Yom Kippur has this connection to both of these, these characters. Our sages teach us that today Yom Kippur is Yom HaKippurim, which means a day that is like Purim. Purim is supposed to be a day of unadulterated joy, but within that joy was preceded by angst and sadness. Our feast was born out of our survival and overcoming our enemy. But Purim begins with a fast. Yom Kippur actually begins with a feast, the one we just had, the Suda Mafseket it's called, and it ends with a fast. But today is a joyful fast because we are cleansed of our sins. Both holidays are a mixture of joy and sadness. And that is the story of our people. From the depths of the Holocaust to the establishment of the Jewish state within 10 years, a blink of an eye in time. Of course, no one knows if the current government's attempts to change the rules of Israel's democratic nature will lead to the, to the end of Israel as we know her or if it's the beginning of the necessary changes made that need to help Israel develop as a country by fixing things that could have been set by a constitution, which Israel still, 75 years later after its founding, does not have. Just like in 1973, only time will tell which side is correct. But I ask all sides to ask themselves tough questions. What if I'm wrong? What if we are wrong? And when do we go too far? So what about us in Boca Raton? How do we fit in? And I know many of you are thinking, Rabbi, tell me which side to be on. The truth is, like the generals who advised Prime Minister Mayer in 1973, I have my inclinations about which side I think is correct. But guess what? I don't know for sure. And no matter how confident people are about what they believe in, no one knows what's going to happen. And if you want to talk to me about it, join me at 4 p.m. tomorrow for our Ask the Rabbi, our annual Ask the Rabbi uh, meeting here on the BEMA.
But I do know what we can do. We must understand the important role that Israel plays in our lives and our history. Because after all, there is only one Israel. In Golda, there was a reenactment of a conversation between Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and Prime Minister Golda Meir. In anticipation of Israel's request for more arms, which America was not prepared to give at the time. And Kissinger said to Golda, he said, Golda, I must warn you, because he knew what she was going to ask. He said, I'm an, I am an American first, Secretary, Secretary of State second, and a Jew third. Golda responded, Henry, in Israel, we read from right to left. Kissinger was a German-born Jew who left Nazi Germany in the 30s and served in the U.S. Army during World War II. America saved him and his family. And like many Jews, he did not want his loyalty to his adopted country, the country that saved him and his family questions. But Golda also found safety in America as her family escaped the pogroms of Ukraine. In Meyer's eyes, Israel was the only solution to the problem of the Jews hiding in the cellar waiting for anti-Semites who came to kill them as they passed by. As Golda confided to her secretary, I am not that scared little girl anymore. I will not be taken alive. She looked at herself as a Jew first before any other nationality. And even though she spent these formative years in America, even though she had a place to go, just in case everything went bad, she could go to America. But she said, no, there is only one Jewish state, only one Jewish homeland, and if it, were, if it is destroyed, then I will die with it. Like Americans, Israelis have a rich history of protest songs. The song of the pro-democracy camp is Ainli Eretz Acheret. I have no other country. It was written by an Israeli singer-songwriter named Ehud Manor. But the song was not written as a song of pride for Israel. It was written after Israel let him and so many other Israelis down during the 1982 Lebanon War. In June of 1982, Manor was sitting with his wife, Ofra, in the living room, and they were watching the news on television. And the news came out about the war in Lebanon, and she recalls vividly, she said that when they saw the footage of Israeli soldiers entering Beirut, Ehud broke down and said, I cannot take it, and he began jotting down words on a piece of paper. Now, it took years for those scribbled words on that piece of paper to become one of Israeli, Israel's most popular, iconic songs of all time. The lyrics state, I shall not be silent because my country has changed its face. But, and there's a big but, I have no other country. His wife said, Ehud loved Israel, this country, she said, with every fiber of his being, this is our country. And she said, we, re we really don't have another country. 
Now, it might surprise you to hear that this song, Eli Eretz Acheret, was also used by another group of Israelis. In 2005, as settlers protested the disengagement from Gaza, they used that song. Eli Eretz Acheret, I shall not be silent because my country has changed its face. Using the same song for different ideological sides is a sign that Israelis believe that there is no other country for the Jewish people than Israel. But Jewish Americans, we must realize this as well. Despite what we may see out of Israel that we disagree with. Maybe because of those voices. There is only one Jewish state. We have no other land. And there's only one Jewish people. The fear that I have is not, is what will, it is what will happen in Israel, but it's also what will do to us here. My fear is that our response will be to wash our hands of it all and sit in silence and say, we have a country already. And this is something that none of us can afford. And so on this Yom Kippur, I believe that we can start by committing to three things for Israel and for ourselves and for our people. One, we must do tshuva. We translate tshuva as repentance, but it really means to return. We must return to Israel. The Israel of today is much different than the Israel of the past than maybe many of us remembered on our visits. Every time I know that I visit, there is something new to see. We change between visits. Why don't we think Israel changes? And that's why visiting Israel in person is so important. We must see how Israel constantly evolves to understand her. And so we have that opportunity as a congregation in June, June 18th, as we are attempting our first congregational trip to Israel. This year, in order to prepare for that trip, I'll be teaching a course through the Shalom Hartman Institute called Israel, it's called Israel Together and Apart, the future of Jewish peoplehood. And in this series, we will embark on an exploration of concepts of Jewish peoplehood its most significant contemporary challenges, and the new narratives that can unite the Jewish people today around Israel. Even if you cannot journey with us in person, you can journey with us educationally and spiritually here at Shari Kodesh. The situation is complicated, and we cannot plead ignorance on this issue. Not with the internet, not with so many resources at our hands, at our fingertips. We must return to Israel, whether our, it is in person or with our attention and our time. The second thing, tefillah, we must pray for Israel, and yes, pray for peace. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once said, prayer teaches us what to aspire for. So often we do not know what to cling to. Prayer implants in us the ideals we ought to cherish. This year, I pray, I pray that the two sides in this debate in Israel come together and work out a grand compromise like we've never seen. I pray that the people of Israel and the Jewish people around the world unite as one. 
I pray that this moment in Israel's history will bring her to create an Israeli constitution, which she does not currently have. I know it's a tall order to pray for these things, but tefillah is meant to challenge us to go higher, to aspire, to climb that ladder of holiness. But prayer is also an act of sacrifice. When we pray, we sacrifice our time. We devote our thoughts and energy to what matters the most in this world and to our people. And yeah, for some of us, protest is prayer. Hundreds of thousands have been marching and shouting for eight months weekly. Shema kolenu, listen to our voices. Al tashlichenu milfanecha, do not cast us away from you. Kichlot kochenu, al ta'azvenu, do not desert us as our energies wane. As Rabbi Heschel commented after marching with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and so many others in Selma, Alabama, I felt like my legs were praying. Let's respect the right of everyone to protest when they feel powerless and pray in their own authentic way so that their voices can be heard. And finally, tzedakah. We must give tzedakah. As Eileen mentioned, tzedakah doesn't mean charity, but what it really means is bringing justice to the world through our money. Israel has a body and a soul. Israel's body is supported by the investments that we make in Israel. Investments like Israel bonds, which we are selling. You can invest in Israel's infrastructure. But what good is a body without a soul? Israel's soul needs help as well. And we must support the organizations in Israel that mirror the values that we want to see in Israel. And so what I'm going to do is buy an Israel bond for the Masorti movement in Israel and one for our congregation. And when Betzalel Smotras, for those who know him, in three years he's going to have to sign, he's going to have to sign that money to the Masorti movement. This is not the printed version, but I bet you he will not be happy about that. We must... Let our values be heard. For those who believe that a democratic Israel based on pluralism, religious freedom for all, for a place for non-Orthodox Judaism in Israel, if you care about it, you must support it. And I want you to think about what organization in Israel speaks for you. Think about supporting them with their tzedakah. As Jews, we have never been great predictors of the future. That's for sure. Because in every generation, we say we're going to be the last. But our greatest gift is actually how we view the future. We are a people that places our hope in our very center. And hope, hope, tikva, has sustained us and brought us to where we are today. Od lo avda tikva tenu. Our hope is not yet lost. It is a 2,000-year-old to be a free people in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. And so despite what we experienced this year, we are here at this moment on Yom Kippur. 
on Yom Kippur, it's not just that every person is cleansed, but an entire nation is cleansed today, on this day. And we can start anew during this new year, together as one people, as one nation. And so I say, despite what the dire predictions were to Golda, Am Yisrael Chai, the nation of Israel lives. It lived after the 73 war, and it lives today. And may we all grab on to life and goodness and hope together. Gemar Hatima Tova, wishing you all a meaningful, easy fast, and a Shana Tova, a sweet and good year.